You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, I am Matt Williamson, belly up to my bar, and join me and my friend Mark Schofield on today's Locked On NFL podcast. Mark, let's dig right in. What are you doing? How you doing, man? I, I'm doing better than the former general manager of the New York Jets. Yes, that, that that broke pretty much as I was dialing you up. Mike McKagan is out in in New York after a pretty you know uh, eventful off season. Tons of cap room. You know, Quinn and Williams uh, trading up for Darnold a year ago. But you're hearing some riffs about him and Gase not getting along. And what's your take overall? I mean, I, I guess, yeah, it does seem like this is sort of a rift-inspired move. I mean, it's strange, though, because we ha- heard those reports last week. I think it was Tony Pauline who was saying that there was a rift between, you know, the general manager and Adam Gase. Gase himself came out on Friday saying, no, those reports are lies. You know, they make him angry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But now they, they move on. They move on from, you know, Mac. They move on from the, the guy under him, Herm Dinner. It seems like perhaps Joe Douglas, the vice president of player personnel with Philadelphia, who's close with Gates, perhaps he goes to New York. But it's strange when you see the offseason the Jets have. You know, they spent almost uh, – they spent a ton of money in free agency. They let him make a top five pick and then they move on. The timing of it is weird, but yeah. you know we both know that this is sometimes what happens: is that you've had the guys in place that are going to handle the offseason, free agency, and draft, and then you let them do those jobs, and then you make moves after that because you don't want to like disturb the apple cart right before the draft or right before free agency. So it's weird. The timing seems weird, but isn't this kind of in line with how we often see moves in the offseason? Yeah, I mean, now is really the time to do it. It's a downtime. He's, you know, he's brought the, the harvest in, you know, you don't really, I went through this with Cleveland. I mean, you don't want to make that switch, even if it's kind of a dead man walking halfway through the process, because you basically throw out all that information you had from the former staff. So you let them make all their moves and then you make, you know, maybe this has been coming for a while. Um, I'll probably talk more about this with Sando tomorrow, but I did just want all of our listeners to be aware. And you know, you and I don't know. We know we're pretty good at our jobs, but we don't know exactly what went on behind the you know behind the scenes. Right. You know. Right. We we don't. I mean, on. what what theoretically, what would the Jets have done differently? You know, if right. they fired him right before the draft, would they have gone in a different direction at three and said, "Oh, Quinn Williams is here," but I don't know. This new regime, they really like. I don't know. Um, Cody Ford. Let's draft him at three instead. No, I mean, they would have done the same thing anyway, which is why you keep the guy in place, you keep the information and the work that's done in place, and then you make the move now during the dead time. Yeah, and it's funny you brought up Ford, though, because I do think a priority, and people have told me this, that they weren't able to accomplish as much as they want, was drafting offensive linemen. Yeah. But I mean, I does Yeah, I mean, that's what you do it later. You know, you're not going to pass on Quinn Williams at three. Right, right. So. Um, you and I talked yesterday, you know, what do you want to do today for the show? And it's something we've been meaning to do, and I'm excited to dig in, is let's evaluate quarterback landing spots from this draft. And I'm going to start, though, with Josh Rosen. You know, he lands in Miami, and maybe this is somewhat of a shortcut to thinking a little bit, but I think of Miami, and we've seen this with other Belichick disciples, it doesn't quite work, but I look at it as let's institute a Packers or a Patriots-like system 
on South Beach. And if that's true in terms of how they're going to play and use the quarterback, I like where Rosen sets up here. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I, I, and I love the Miami thing with Rosen for two reasons. Is one, you know, the scheme fit I think is going to be ideal. Like you said, Patriots offense on South Beach. That's what we expect Chad O'Shea to bring. Mm-hmm. That's what we expect them to implement. It's going to be – it was part of the reason why I love the idea of Rosen to New England. It was because I thought it would be a perfect fit for that Absolutely. kind of offense. And, you know, a time and a rhythm-based offense, you ask a lot of the quarterback. You know, short, intermediate stuff. That's, I think, perfect for Rosen. Cerebral. The, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's perfect. Now, the other thing is, with this Rosen move, it gives them the flexibility for a year down the road. If they don't like Rosen, if it hasn't worked out, they could go in on a quarterback again. So it gives them two bites of the apple here. But I think the fit with Chad O'Shea, that sort of Patriots-style offense is ideal. I expect Rosen to be successful in it. I know I I just saw a tweet before we came on that he fumbled a snap today at OTAs. And it's like, oh, let's calm down. OTA scouting. I mean, we got to hold the horses on this one. I mean, remember last year it was, man, Mahomes is throwing all these interceptions in practice. He's, He's just not doing well it's because they were told they told them you know see what you can get away with push the envelope in practice so yeah he threw a ton of picks and practices it didn't quite translate to the games and so it's calmed down on otas but as far as rosen in miami i think is an ideal fit yeah and and let's evaluate these two ways actually (sighs) scheme and i think we both agree is a check mark yes good scheme fit in miami for rosen supporting cast I don't think it's as bad as it was in Arizona, but I wish his blocking was a little better. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, they're in the early stages of the rebuild. Yeah. And so the supporting cast around him, not great. I mean, Kenny Stills, okay. I mean, Devontae Parker, finally going to see something from him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, they got question marks. Uh, The, you know, skill positions there, the blocking really. I mean, Kenya Drake is, I think, an interesting player who can do some things. We talked about Miles Gaskins before the draft. I liked him. I think he's a nice kind of piece there. But, I mean, yeah, they still got work to do around him. But still, they know that they're in the early throws of the rebuild. They're not expecting this to be a contending team anytime soon. But I think that there's enough here that you'll get a good evaluation of Rosen. And that's what this year is going to be. This entire 2019 season for Miami is like summer scouted. You're going to just get a baseline. And at the end of it, you're going to say, okay, here's what we got from these guys. Are we happy? Yes. Okay. Then we address other needs. If we're not, then we'll address them in the next draft. It's a baseline year for them. But I think there'll be enough around Rosen and the fit schematically works and I'd expect him to be good enough that they don't have to address quarterback next year. Yeah. My, uh, my worry is he gets his head beat in two years in a row on the worst team in the league, two years in a row and David Carr happens and you ruin him. <laughs> you yeah. Know, but I, I mean, that that's entirely possible. Right. And I mean, there could probably be no worse way to just destroy a quarterback psyche than to see him get passed over again at the top of the draft and Miami moves on from him after he takes a pound in for a season. I mean, it could happen. We can't rule it out. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Folks, we are brought to you by Blue Chew. And I've been using this analogy when talking about Blue Chew that if I were the GM of the Jets and I had a problem... I would go fix it. I mean, I would let, I would do everything possible to get that offensive line better or get Sam Darnold supporting Cash better. Well, do the same if you have little issues in the bedroom. And it's even more than that, that you can even now increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. So listen up. BlueChew.com, like the color blue, I've told you about them before. 
Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. I always found that odd that people would take a pill and then be like, hey, hon, I'll meet you in half an hour or an hour whenever I'm ready to roll. This is much, much more efficient. So, this, like I mentioned, though, this is not just for guys that can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. So, Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So, no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. So, here's what you got to do. I mean, everyone should do this. You got a special deal for our listeners. Go to bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code locked on, all one word. Just pay the $5 shipping. Trust me, it's a great deal. That's B L U E chew.com, promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them very much for sponsoring the podcast. All right, Mark, let's dig into these rookies. I mean, I probably want to spend the least time on Kyler Murray to Arizona. It's been talked to death. I think we, everyone will agree the scheme fit is wonderful. The supporting cast isn't so bad, but the blocking, again, really concerns me. I mean, the scheme fit we knew is going to be a good fit because, after all, they recruited them to run this offense. I mean... Cliff wanted him to run it at Texas Tech. He goes to Oklahoma, runs basically the same kind of offense. I think Cliff's sort of air rate is going to have more quote-unquote pro-style concepts, but you know the fit is going to be good from a schematic standpoint. Add in Butler, add in Isabella, add in Johnson. You know they addressed wide receiver three different times in this draft, so they're clearly getting some weapons around him. I think those are nice additions. They got to figure out the offensive line, of course. But you know, is Arizona going to be a contender? No. Are they going to be better? I think than people expect them to be. I think you can make the case they will be when you look at these additions. Yeah, I think they'll use David Johnson much better than he was used a year ago. Oh yeah, is it? Yeah, I mean that's gigantic for me, and we're going to come to that with Saquon here in a minute too. Um, Larry's around another year. I think that's valuable on and off the field. I I have high hopes for Christian Kirk. So I think there's weapons. I think the O line is better than what Rosen stood behind to finish last year, and I also think the scheme will help the line as will Murray's feet. Yeah. Because, you know, and this was part of the calculus they probably performed was when you look at Rosie and look at Murray, which guys got the ability to sort of create and extend and keep plays alive with his legs. And that's Murray. It's not Rosen. Exactly. So exactly. if the line doesn't gel the way they needed to, well, he can still turn around and deliver and create with his legs. And, you know, that will be a big boost to this offense. It will give them the ability to maintain drives because, you know, if Rosen couldn't create you know, with his legs and scramble for a first down when nothing was open on third and four. Well, Murray can do that. Yes. And let's spend a little time on Daniel Jones to the Giants. I wouldn't have taken Daniel Jones at six overall in a million years, but that really doesn't matter at this point. He's a giant. It's either here nor there. If I think it was a good pick, I think it's a very, I wrote an article about this saying the Giants have created a very good nest, a very good landing spot for quarterbacks, and it'd be great to have Odell, but maybe you don't mind him not being in the in the, the facility and in the locker room. A lot of 
Easy throws to Tate and Shepard, middle of the field, in-cutting routes, slants, get your ball out of your hands quick. Engram and Barkley are as good a receivers basically at their position as there is in the league, and the arrow's probably still pointing up on both. Lines drastically improved. Sit in a room with Eli Manning for a while and learn. So I think the landing spot is tremendous. Does that mean Jones is going to be a good player? I still don't think so, but I think the situation's tremendous. Yeah, and I'm right there with you on basically all of this. I wouldn't have done it at six. Wasn't you know one of my favorite quarterbacks in this draft class, but we weren't making the decision. Gentleman who was right, making right. the decision, and he was their top guy. So okay, get him at six makes sense. And I do think that if they're going to transition into more of a pure West Coast kind of offense, like you said, quick throws, outs, slants, pivot routes, things like that, getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly, that's when Jones was at his best, and that's what he's familiar with. 72.6% of his dropbacks his final year at Duke were zero or one-step drops, i.e. quick throws, quick concepts, quick reads. The closest to that in the NFL that year, last year, was Nick Foles at 52% or something like that. And so that's what he's built to run. If that's what the plan is, if that's what you're building around him, then it looks like they do have a plan and it might make some sense. And again, does this mean that Jones is going to pan out? No. But when you draft the quarterback that early, you expect him to see the field early-ish, you want to have the best possible situation around him from both the personnel to the scheme fit and the designs. And it seems like the Giants, for all the criticism we've levied at Gettleman, they're doing that. They're building the lineup. It seems like they might have the best offensive line they've had in a while. No doubt. You know, again, you know, Will Hernandez, I think, was a great pick, you know, a year ago. Solder is just serviceable, above average left tackle in the NFL. You know, Zaitler, I think, was a nice acquisition by them. You know, they get the Remmers deal done. They're building something around Jones, and it does seem to make some sense, regardless of how you feel about Daniel Jones in a vacuum, evaluating him as a quarterback prospect. Right, right, exactly. And, Two other notes. Excuse me. Two other notes on that. I read on Pro Football Focus that at Duke, his 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 Pro Football Focus grade was nearly double throwing bet- in between the in the, the hash marks as a throw as opposed to outside. And I hope that the the Giants recognize that, and their weapons certainly lend itself to looking like they will. You know, I mean, there's their middle of the field quick hitting weapons. And the other note is that unlike Eli Manning. I also think we'll see a lot more RPOs once Jones takes over. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And the interesting thing to think about with the Giants is we always talk so much about how you want to maximize that rookie quarterback <coughs> deal. With the Giants, you could have maximized that rookie running back deal. You know, because yeah, Barkley right. is so talented and he's gonna get paid, but you've got a window now where he's not commanded big time money. And an obviously, obviously an RPO-based kind of offense is what he's familiar with. And you could do some damage with him. You know, that's what he was running the Penn State, obviously, with Trace McSorley. And you can see a situation where Jones and his athleticism, you know, he's going when he comes into the lineup, that backside defensive end has got to be honest. He's got to stay home. You know, you're not worried about Eli Manning keeping it and running around the edge, but you'd be worried about Jones doing that. And so that's going to help Barkley, I think, you know, because it's going to free up some blocking lanes, some running lanes for him. It's going to allow them to leave guys unblocked and technically, quote-unquote, block them with the potential of the quarterback keeping it. And that's going to create some opportunities to get guys up to the second level and give Barkley a nice little crease. And so Jones, again, whatever you want to say about him as a prospect, 
you could see it starting to come together how they're going to use him and how we could make this offense better than what they have right now with Eli. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, again, I don't love the prospect, but I like the marriage. I like the fit, and that's what we're talking about here today. Um, Dwayne Haskins, unlike Jones and Murray, is not a runner. He's not going to make a lot of plays with his feet. I think he needs to be protected. I think he needs to have a running game. And I'm going to put an asterisk by this for health, but I do think the Skins O-line is a good one. It's just always hurt, and as is their whole team at times. But they drafted two more dudes in the mid-rounds that'll help with depth. I think Peterson, Geis, maybe Love, maybe Thompson are nice foundational guys to hand the ball to and run play action after that. And I think Gruden and Haskins schematically are a good fit. I just think their weapons are junk. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> you know? You're banking a lot on Josh Doxson, and that hasn't panned out yet. Paul yeah. Richardson's a complimentary wide receiver at best. Um, Terry McLaurin, like, you know, he turns some heads at the Senior Bowl, and obviously there's familiarity between him and Haskins because they were teammates. But, you know, I don't think you're surefire penciling him in as a starter, but Mm-mm. right now he would have to be when you look at the rest of them. I mean, getting Kelvin Harmon in the sixth round was a nice addition. I know they like Trey Quinn, but this is a receiver core that isn't turning heads. You mentioned injuries. Well, Jordan Reed, when yeah, he's healthy, oh. fantastic tight end, but injuries are a question mark there. Vernon Davis keeps on keeping on, but you can't expect him to be you know, a tight end one when if and when Reed goes down. So health is going to be a big thing for Washington. But that being said, I like the schematic fit. And what's interesting about Gruden is he's always sort of you know, he's like an aggressive play caller. You look at last year when Smith went down, Colt McCoy comes in, you think, you know, they're going to be somewhat conservative around the ball. He's out there pushing the envelope. He's caught up vertical concepts and asking Colt McCoy to push the ball downfield. And it seems at times this Washington offense, even dating back to Kirk Cousins, did stuff, created opportunities downfield, but quarterbacks weren't willing to make those throws. I think Haskins brings a little bit of aggression to the table, you know, more willing to challenge some throwing lanes downfield. And so I think it might be a smart marriage of quarterback and coach. So I do like this one as well. Yeah, I 100% do. But going back to Gruden, I wish he had his A.J. Green. You know, like, and that's easy to say. But if any team, I mean, any team would love to have A.J. Green. But all those weapons we just mentioned, if they're not the straw, straw that stirs the drink, I'm fine with them. And maybe Doxon turns into something and McLaurin, but there's nothing resembling a one. There's nobody that there's a go-to guy. Third and six, where's the ball going? Right. That's my worry. Yeah, I mean, it is a concern. And that's, you know, one of the things about, you know, putting together rosters is I always try to picture myself in that quarterback's head on third and six, like you said. Because it's great as a quarterback to know that, okay, third and six, I'm Tom Brady. Julian Edelman's going to be open somewhere. You know, third and six, I'm Carson Wentz. Alshon Jeffrey is going to make a play for me. Well, who's right. that guy from right, Washington yeah. right now? Like Maybe Jordan Reed for two maybe days. Maybe Jordan right, Reed or three, uh, until right. week two. Right. Uh, Dawson. <laughs> I mean, let's not forget a couple of years ago, you know, Kirk Cousins in Washington went into Kansas City and Cousins made a throw right in the end zone that would have won the game and Dawson dropped it. I mean, you know, they, they've been let down by receivers before. We're waiting for these guys to grow and develop. It's hard to count on the rookie to be like that guy, especially a third round guy that doesn't have a full skill set to him right now. So that is a question mark. And, you know, it's an important one because, like I said, quarterbacks want to know, okay, who's my guy that I can trust in a big time situation? And Washington might not have a guy like that. Not going to hold you to this, but which 
between Jones and Haskins, you think becomes the true starter first? Probably Haskins. That's what I, I think. You know, they have more question marks at the quarterback position right now. I mean, we can put Alex Smith aside. It seems like that's the situation is not yeah, ended the way we'd like to see it for him. Um, I think Case Keenum, Colt McCoy. I mean, McCoy's coming off an injury. Look, he's going to be available for OTAs. But I think that situation lends itself more to Haskins getting on the field when, you know, you've got Eli Manning and say what you want about him. There were times last year where it seemed like he was still a serviceable quarterback. And Gettleman has said that even after drafting Jones, he'd like to have a Mahomes situation where he sits for a year. He even said maybe he sits for three years. So it seems like they're not going to be in a rush to get him on the field. Although, as we talked about, maybe he would bring some things to the table that could help Barkley and the running back and the offense more than it Manning could. I 100% agree, and I hesitate to say this because it never, ever happens. First-rounders end up getting there sooner than they should, and they all end up playing with the exception of Mahomes. But because of the lo- of Eli's pedigree and the loyalty from ownership and management, it wouldn't shock me if Jones doesn't get in there until they're out of the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I I sort of envision a situation where it's like that first year with Mahomes where once they had figured out what was happening in the postseason, once they're out or whatever, then you'd see him. But you're not going to see Jones before that. Um, You know, they're going to try to sort of run out the string here with Eli. I would imagine next year Jones is probably their assumed starting quarterback. But I'd be surprised, you know, like you said, barring some sort of injury. And even if they do have an injury, I mean, that's an interesting one to think about. Say it's week five. You know, and Eli gets hurt. Like, do they run Jones out there? Or would they say, look, you know, we're going to play this smart with him. It's Alex Tanney or it's Kyle Laletta. You know, we don't want to rush him and break him. We'd rather, you know, that's why you still have the, one of those guys on the roster. I mean, that's an interesting question. I don't know what I would do. Yeah, good, good thought. I hadn't, I hadn't even gone down that road. Uh, you might be right. Or if Manning's just horrible. Yeah. Um, quick break. Let's talk about some of these non-first rounders when we return. Drew Locke to Denver. I th- Flacco's not going to mentor him. So what? I mean, so what? Yeah. <laughs> right. What's, that's not his job. His business card doesn't read, you know, <laughs> right, right. Um, quarterback developer. It's quarterback. Like, and also, it's also sort of incumbent. Like, we'd all love to see sort of the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes situation. And Mahomes has said that, look, Smith was open, let him in. You know, had him shadow him, all that stuff. That's great. That speaks to Alex Smith, the person. But not everybody's like that. I mean, so Joe Flacco doesn't want to mentor Lamar Jackson, so he doesn't want to mentor Drew Locke. Fine, okay. It's also incumbent upon Drew Locke to find somebody that will help him, whether it's the offensive coordinator or somebody else in the building. You know, I don't think you know, they they've coaches. got another rookie. That's why they pay coaches. You know, I don't think, you know, Brett Rippin's going to re- mentor him as he's going to need a mentor himself. But still, I, I, don't, I think this is kind of overblown, but it makes for perfect content discussion come, you know, mid-May. Mid-May when there's a little more struggling for right. things to talk about. Oh, Flacco's not going to mentor him. He didn't yeah. mentor Lamar Jackson either. Um, I do like the landing spot, though. I, and I'm not sure you're going to learn a whole lot from Joe anyways. I mean, that, that sounds rough because he is an NFL quarterback that's played a long time, but he's not the best reader of defenses and things either, and he's learning a new system too. Yeah. But I do think the system is a good fit for Locke, um, who I really would like to see sit. And I yeah. think the supporting cast is okay. I mean, good enough. Yeah, it's good enough. I think the system's going to be good in the sense that we expect it to be somewhat of a Kubiak-style offense, which is when Flacco was at his best. You know, a lot of 
wide zone, outside zone, boot action off of it, throw into the tight ends. You know, that's why they get the tight end. No offense. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's a good fit there. Um, you know, what you're going to get from Sanders if he's healthy, Hamilton, Sutton, those are some interested wide receivers. The tight end, I think, is going to play a huge role. Obviously, wide zone, outside zone, that's Philip Lindsay's strength as a runner. And so you can see them putting together a scheme. You know, I, I think with Locke, the fit is nice in terms of the scheme. You know, he can throw on the move. He can do stuff like that. He can, he's athletic enough where he can create outside of the pocket. I think when he eventually takes over, it's probably going to be more of a downfield flavor. I mean, with Flacco, you saw yards per attempt was starting to dip after 2014 down to that, you know, five range. Um, but I think when Locke comes in, this is going to be more of a vertical type offense. But you can see it fitting, you can see it making some sense. And you mentioned the athleticism. And I think, like Jones, I think you'll obviously see a lot more quarterback runs, quarterback action than with Flacco, of course. You know, I mean, you have Jones behind Eli, you have Locke behind Flacco. The athleticism gap between the old guy and the new guy is massive. Right, it is. And what's interesting is you look at some of the other running backs, in addition to Lindsey, Royce Freeman and Devontae mm-hmm. Booker. I mean, these are guys that it sort of lends itself to that similar discussion we were having with Saquon Barkley, like using some RPO stuff, using the quarterback's legs, keeping that backside defenders, defensive end honest. And Locke will bring that to the table, similar to the Jones discussion we were having. And I am pretty excited about the fan situation. I think that's a oh, very yeah. friendly addition for Flacco and for a young quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you know, and if you're into fantasy and you want to get yourself on a tight end, that's a guy to keep your eye on. I think he's going to have a pretty good rookie season because this scheme is going to be fit, perfect fit for him. And we know Flacco loves throwing to tight ends. Yeah. I mean, just loves it. And so I think he's going to have a pretty good rookie year. And then once, you know, Locke takes over, he's going to be the guy that can sort of be a matchup type player. They're going to try to get him on safeties. They're going to try to get him on linebackers. He's got the athleticism to run away from those types of players. But he's got the frame to sort of work against defensive backs if they go Y-ISO. They're going to use him similar, I think, to how the Patriots use Gronkowski, that kind of move type tight end. And it's a matchup league, and he could create mismatches. Yeah, and it'll be good after the catch, and yeah, I think they'll yeah. scheme up a lot around him. I am excited about that situation. That really helps the supporting cast argument. Um, Will Greer, not at all similar to Cam Newton physically or traits-wise, but I still love the landing spot because I think he can chill for a bit, although I'm not certain that Newton's as healthy as people think. But I like the supporting cast a lot. I think he, of the mid-round guys, or after Drew Locke, and I know he's the next one picked, clearly has the the best chance of being a long-term starter of this group. Yeah, I think so. This was an interesting fit for me, yeah. partly because I got so hot up on the Tyree Jackson potential. I thought that would have made a lot of sense. you know. But they clear, and we had talked about this before the draft, they needed a quarterback badly behind Newton because Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, like question marks abound, especially if Newton is still hurt. And so I think Greer might see the field sooner than we think if, especially if Newton isn't healthy, maybe they just decide, look, we're going to sit Newton for the preseason. It might be the Will Greer show this preseason. And so I think his ability to put the ball downfield, his aggressive nature, like North Turner is going to love that part of it. Right. I mean, Turner, we, you know, seven step drops, you know, chucking it deep. Like that's North Turner, Air Coriel. And let me stop you real quick because I just want to throw one thing out there while it's still on my noodle. And you kind of mentioned this too. Turner, <coughs> Turner inherited Cam. And yeah. I wonder if, I mean, I know that Cam isn't for everyone. 
I wonder if Turner would rather have the Greer style than the Cam style. And maybe uh, Greer's not the successor, but I bet they don't – maybe they don't want Tyree Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a very good point, Matt, because, you know, he like you said, he inherited Cam. And he sort of tweaked his offense a little bit with some spread RPO stuff to make it more – cam friendly in a sense but i'm sure if push came to shove he would rather have a guy like will greer mm-hmm. i mean i know that sounds weird we're talking about cam newton who's an elite quarterback talent but at the same he's time everybody he's not for everybody no. yeah and i think greer has the aggressiveness he has the mentality he has sort of the willingness to take chances with the football and push it downfield and i know newton does some of that but i think norv if he were to if you were to sit him down and say T- Right up, draw out for me your ideal quarterback. I think we'd see it more in the Will Greer bucket than the, the King Newton. Rivers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, right. Uh, although I do give North credit. I mean, before Cam's injury, they came here that Thursday night against Pittsburgh. I was studying that offense before that game, and that offense was humming. I mean, they were yeah. a really good group, and Cam was playing really well, and Norv changed his spots. You know I mean? He changed yeah. his stripes. And that's because remember how the situation with Teddy Bridgewater ended. I mean, Norv like sort of refused to tinker with his offense. He was insisted on seven step drops. They had a loss against Arizona, I think, one week where they just needed a couple more yards to get a field goal. And they called a seven step concept and he gets sacked. And that's how the game ended. Like he refused to change. But we saw him finally like tweak his system a little bit last year. And now, he's probably tweaked it from time to time, but it was really sort of interesting to see him change it for Cam a little bit. Now, I'd wonder if with Greer in place, does he do that again or not? I don't know. But you know, to his credit, he did adjust a little bit last year. That offense, like you said, was performing well until Newton got hurt. Last guy I want to bring up is Ryan Finley. And yeah, he was a fourth and Greer was a third, but he only went four picks later. So they're really right in the same neighborhood. Um I think Andy Dalton, you're talking about fantasy. I, I think Andy Dalton is a very sneaky fantasy option this year that might do really well in this new system and have a lot handed to him. And in his year until the, the final second, and, you know, Mixon could be his girly, and I think Boyd can be their Cooper Cup. And I think the Bengals' offense is better than people think. But I also am not sleeping on Findlay, you know, that I could see him taking over when they're eliminated performing well, fitting the system well, and then cheap owners, if since you know, Mr. Brown says, why don't we just make Finley our Dak Prescott contract guy going forward, move on from Andy and save a bunch of money? Yeah, that could that could easily happen. And the interesting thing about Finley is that very smart, very yeah. sort of cerebral quarterback, but he's got the ability to sort of make those time and rhythm throws and to keep an offense on schedule, maybe conservative to a fault at times, but that could serve you well, especially if you anticipate an offense. It's going to be owner's going to love them. <laughs> right, right. And you, you anticipate an offense built on space and concepts and, you know, effective use of the field and stretch the defense from sideline to sideline and getting guys open and getting the ball out on time and rhythm and giving those guys opportunities to run after the catch. You know, that's what we've seen from the Rams, which is where Zach Taylor came from. You know, that wouldn't surprise me. 
And what was interesting about the pick, because, you know, we talked a little bit about how Cincinnati was sort of a dark horse team to go quarterback early. This was sort of like split of the baby there, right? They don't go quarterback early. They get Jonah Williams, which I think was a very good pick for them. Sure. You know, they drew Sample, the tight end. Maybe they were early on that one. I don't think people had him as one of the earlier tight ends off the board, but okay. But the blocking right? at least better than it was yeah, before. Yeah, the block gets better. Right? If you get something from Tyler Eifert this year, then great, you know? Ryan Finley in the fourth round is early-ish for quarterbacks. And he was a guy that was getting some round two, maybe late, even late round one buzz right before the draft. And that was probably just people overthinking things. But that's early enough where you might say, yeah, let's get him on the field. You know, it's week 13 or week 14. You've been eliminated or you're basically out. You know, you're not going to make a run. Let's see what the kid can do. And in this kind of system, the wisdom, the smarts, the timing, the rhythm and all that stuff – he might turn some heads to the point where you would say, yeah, why are Let's we going to overpay? It, Let's try it. Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, it's also a good example of, it'll be a good experiment of kind of what's going on with the Rams. You know, is it McVay? Is it Goff? Is it System? Yeah. You know, and um, should we pay Goff $30 million or should I just get another guy and I'm coach him up? You know what I mean? You know? I'm fascinated about that because, you know, we've been wondering for a while now, is a team going to do that? Are they going to sort of break from the norm rather than overpaying or just paying, period, the rookie quarterback at the end of this deal? Just get on another rookie quarterback. Right. And maybe the Rams will finally be that team that does it. And this would be an interesting test case because while it's not the same situation, Dalton's not on his rookie deal anymore, but he's kind of become the, you know, the the definition of quarterback purgatory where he's like just good enough that you keep him, but you know that you could probably find somebody better. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And not that the Bengals are going to go sign Namakong Sue and Peters and cooks and all these type of guys too, but it is an interesting example. And I think that the cheap owner will really enjoy the Finley situation. <laughs> yeah. I'm hunch. sure he will. Yeah. I'm sure he will. Like look at what this guy's doing and how much are we paying him? Oh, come on. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, what are we paying Andy for? We can move right. on from him. Let's let's put Ryan in there. We can do just the exact same thing. Um, folks, this was a blast. Mark, you're the man. Let's do it again next Wednesday. I got Mike Sando coming back on Thursday as usual. Spread the word about the whole Locked On Network. Mark's uh, the host of Locked On Patriots. I should have mentioned that earlier, but he talks quarterbacks and much more. You should check that out daily as well as my show. So spread the word over and out.